Welcome to the Torah Guide, a podcast where we explore how the Hebrew Bible is all about Jesus and meditate on what it has to say to us. I'm your host, Aaron Dranoff. This is the last episode in a series we've been going through for the past 10 weeks called An Introduction to the Torah. Today, we're going to finish out the series by doing a quick flyover of how Jesus and the New Testament carry the story forward. Instead of taking the perspective that Jesus is hidden in the details of the Old Testament, we'll notice how the Hebrew Bible as a whole is entirely about him. Of course, many details of the Hebrew Bible do point to Jesus. It's not that the intuition to look for him in details or in specific prophecies is entirely wrong. But if we want to be responsible with the Bible, then we have to realize prophecies and hidden details are not at all the main ways that the Old Testament points to Jesus. What I've tried to show in this series is how the Old Testament does point to Jesus by noticing each of the major features at work. The first thing we talked about was that the Torah is the first section of a larger work called the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. Something I wish I'd explained more clearly in that first meditation is the importance of the Tanakh ordering, the Torah, Prophets, and Writings ordering. The order of the books in the Christian Old Testament is not only different from the Jewish ordering of the Hebrew Bible today, but it's also different from the ordering that Jesus read it in, because Jesus read it in the same Jewish ordering that is still around today. The Christian Old Testament is usually divided into the following categories, Pentateuch, which is the Torah, historical books, wisdom, in the major and minor prophets. This is an ordering that came later on. It came after Jesus and after the New Testament was completed. So we have to remember that the Hebrew Bible was written on scrolls. So it's not that it was a book in a codex or or a book binding, but even though it didn't exist in a specific order physically, people certainly thought of them in a specific order. There's evidence of that. But they only existed in these categories in people's minds. So if you went down to the temple to have the Hebrew Bible read to you, they would take out an individual scroll and read to you from that scroll. I mean, just remember in Luke how Jesus goes into the synagogue and he's doing the reading that day. So he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and reads from it. So these, the Hebrew Bible existed on individual scrolls, but people thought of them in these divisions, in these Torah, prophets, and writings categories. So since they were thought of in a specific order, even though they didn't physically exist in that order, we can be sure that there's a meaning behind the order. The order, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings is intentional because they didn't have to think of them in those orders, in that order. Later on, when Christians began to solidify how to order the scrolls, they seem to have done their best to put them in the original ordering because it's pretty close. But there are some notable differences. So more important than the difference in order, though, is the different categories. The early categories of the Hebrew Bible is Torah, prophets, and writings. And this is not only an early Jewish ordering, but it's it's actually central to how Jesus read it. And not only that, but it also appears to be central to the design structure and the meaning of the Hebrew Bible. So the Torah, the prophets, and the writings categories are divided into these categories, and the categories themselves are part of the design structure that communicates meaning. And what we've explored in this series is how the first section, the Torah, as a whole, 
is a work that teaches us about humanity's place in God's plan. It's about God partnering with humanity to rule over the earth, but instead of taking care of it the way that he intended, they seized power for themselves and polluted the world with evil. So even though God gave them power and authority, they seized the power that he didn't give them. And by, by seizing this power to decide what is good and evil for themselves, they pollute the world with evil. But instead of destroying humanity, God promised a rescue plan, a way for humanity to be restored to their place as rulers and to reverse the curse that humankind brought on creation. And he did this by partnering with the family of Abraham through a law code. The next two sections of the Hebrew Bible, the prophets and the writings, the Nebuchadnezzar and Ketuvim, build on the Torah's story. And one of the primary ways the next two sections build on the Torah is by recycling the same language and poetic imagery the Torah focused on. Then, after the prophets and the writings, the New Testament continues the story by showing how the hope that was first promised in the Torah and then heightened and explained by the prophets and the writings comes to its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth. And it's worth pondering that when Jesus talked about the Old Testament, he referred to it by the early Jewish categories. Take a look at Matthew 5, 17, Luke 11, 50-51, Luke 24 and 44. So the Torah is an important opening to the Tanakh and the biblical story as a whole. In this series, we covered how the Torah is a narrative and in that narrative, the main plot conflict is that humanity sees the power to decide good and evil for themselves instead of trusting what God provides to be good. And we covered how the main storyline of the Torah, and eventually the whole Bible, is God's plan to send another human, a descendant of Eve, who will finally be the one to completely trust and listen to God's definition of good and evil, never seizing that power for himself. Then we covered how throughout the Torah, God partners with humans in covenant agreements that are all building toward a new and final covenant. In that final covenant, that new covenant, God restores the people of Israel who broke their covenant through their messianic priest king. And lastly, we explored how the Torah is framed by poetry that functions as an embedded interpretation of the whole book. So what that means is there's poems at every turning point in the Torah that function as the the author's interpretation of what the entire book is about. According to the poetry, the Torah is about the rescuer God promised, the descendant of Eve who would undo the curse. It explains that this descendant will be a descendant of Judah, but he'll be more like Joseph. He'll resist evil even though he'll be rejected and attacked, and he'll even die as a sacrifice, but will also live forever as a victorious king. It even tells us that he will be none other than God himself. Today we're going to do a brief flyover of how Jesus meets these major expectations that the Torah laid out. So first let's talk about how Jesus' life of trust and obedience is the inversion and reversal of Adam and Eve's distrust in the garden that brought about the curse of death to creation. Jesus is the inversion of how Adam and Eve acted in the garden and his what Jesus brings about is the reversal of what Adam and Eve brought about. The plot conflict in the Bible's narrative started when Adam and Eve listened to the serpent instead of listening to God. The serpent spoke to Eve and twisted God's words, but she didn't resist him. Eve listened to the serpent instead of God. 
She took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, seizing the authority to decide good and evil for herself. And Adam ate with her. Now let's look at the story of Jesus and see if knowing good and bad and listening to the right person or not is a big deal in his story. In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't decide good and evil for himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And there are two moments in the New Testament where it's particularly clear how Jesus is the inversion of Adam, where Jesus did what Adam should have done. In Matthew 4, Jesus was confronted by the same figure that confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, the tempter. Now, the tempter tries to deceive Jesus three times, and he twists God's word to do it, just like he twisted God's words to Adam and Eve. But the difference is Jesus clings to God's word and doesn't listen to the Satan's twisted take on it. He trusted and listened to God, not to the Satan, not to the enemy. The other moment that so clearly shows how Jesus is the long-awaited new human, the new Adam, is on Passover, right before Jesus' execution. Jesus was in a garden, and right away this should remind us of Adam and Eve in the garden, and he had a moment where he could choose what looked, good, what looked desirable to him, what looked good. Or he could trust God and listen to him. What did Jesus do? He prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus is the one the story has been building expectation for. The one who crushes the serpent. The one who finally trusts and listens to God instead of the voice of the enemy. So by faithfully listening to God and resisting the voice of the enemy, the Satan, the tempter, Jesus reversed the curse that Adam unleashed on the world by not listening to God. And this is why Paul wrote, For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in the Messiah all will be made alive. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22. The idea of a new and better Adam is not just one of the biblical story's features. It's actually the motor, it's the main feature that drives the whole plot. So there's a lot more to explore, and I actually want to do a series that's completely all about the new Adam candidates in the Hebrew Bible. I think it will really unlock a lot of the text for us. But one thing we considered in this series is priests in the biblical story, and how the different priesthoods do two things. They remind us of Adam's job in the garden, and they point us forward to the new and better Adam. Then when the New Testament describes Jesus' life, it continuously shows him to be that new and better Adam. He is the image of God, like Adam was supposed to be. He's the prophet, king, and priest anticipated by the Hebrew Bible. Jesus was a better priest because he did similar things to that of the temple priests, but in an amplified way. Priests would make atonement so that sins could be forgiven, and Jesus forgave sins. Priests would inspect and determine if someone was clean to enter the holy temple, and Jesus heals the unclean and restored them so they could enter the holy temple. Priests taught the Torah, and the New Testament is filled with accounts of Jesus' teaching from the Torah, calling the people to turn away from their sins and trust in God. For all of these points, if you want to hear more about how Jesus fulfilled these things and how these um, themes of uh, deciding good and evil and priesthoods all point to Jesus, I'd recommend going back and listening to those episodes if you haven't already listened to them because there's so much more depth of how the, each of these features points forward to Jesus. In this episode, we're just going over how 
Jesus's story uh, completes each one of these themes that have been building. So they're they're more shallow than um, the amazing richness that the the Hebrew Bible builds towards. So that was priests. And the next major feature of the Torah that we talked about is the covenants, specifically the covenants between God and humanity. God's covenants are a major feature of the Hebrew Bible as a whole. There's there's such a major part of the story that they're certainly, they're definitely one of the key ways the author wanted to move the story forward. There's a covenant in the very beginning with Adam, although it isn't labeled a covenant until later in the Hebrew Bible. It's Hosea 6, 7. Um, but it certainly is a covenant. If you want more about that, go listen to the covenant episode. In God's covenant with Adam, he gave humanity the responsibility to rule over the earth by trusting his wisdom. Then after Adam broke the covenant, God started over with Noah and made another covenant with humanity. And this time he promised never to destroy humanity again, even though they're evil. Next, God made a covenant with Abraham so that through his family, the rest of humanity would be blessed. In other words, the curse from Adam would be reversed by Abraham's family. Then God made another covenant with Abraham's descendants, which was conditional on a law code. Israel broke the law code before the Torah ended. So in Deuteronomy 31, Moses looks forward to forgiveness and restoration. Later in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel looked back on this restoration and forgiveness that Moses looked forward to, and they called it a new covenant and tied it to the messianic age. So they looked back on what Moses promised and it hadn't arrived yet in their time. So they called it a new covenant and they associated this forgiveness and restoration with the Messiah's reign. The prophet Jeremiah explained that it would not only be with Israel, but also with the Gentiles in Jeremiah 31. And Ezekiel wrote about the same covenant and taught that God would even put his spirit in his people so they would be able to obey in Ezekiel 36, 26. Jesus's mission was to bring the forgiveness and the restoration promised in the Torah to inaugurate the new covenant that was described by Moses and labeled by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He promised restoration for the people who had been beaten down by the world. And Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of scripture that talked about uh, restoration and life promised by the prophets. During a scripture reading in a synagogue, he read from the scroll of Isaiah, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's from Luke 4, 17-20. But instead of finishing the passage, he announces that he is currently fulfilling it. Jesus saw himself as the restoration that the Hebrew Bible looked forward to. Jesus's self-understanding as the new covenant initiator or mediator comes to a climax in Matthew 26, again on Passover, right before he was executed. He talked about his blood being the blood of the covenant. He passed around the wine and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 27 to 28. Jesus was teaching his disciples that just as blood was needed to cover for sins in the Mosaic covenant, as you read about in Exodus 24, the new covenant, this permanent new covenant, needed blood to atone for sins. So Jesus, God in the flesh, gave his own blood to permanently cover the sins of anyone who trusts in Jesus. While the sins of the Mosaic covenant needed to be 
consistently and repeatedly atoned for by blood of the covenant, Jesus's blood as God in the flesh, his own blood is permanently able to atone for all sins. So Jesus inaugurated the new covenant with his life, his death, and his resurrection and gift of the Holy Spirit, just like Ezekiel promised. And for us as his followers under this new covenant, he gives us his spirit so that we can obey him. If we have received Jesus, we're under the new covenant, whether we're Jewish or Gentile. In other words, we're not held to the standards of the Sinai covenant, but of the Messiah's covenant. And lastly, we spent a lot of time talking about how the Torah is framed by poetry. The poems in the Torah guide us to the main ideas that the Torah's author wants to be sure we don't miss. According to the poetry, the Torah is about the divine human who crushes the tempter, remember the serpent, by resisting evil and being crushed in return. He's a descendant of Judah, through King David, who is more like Joseph. He dies as a sacrifice like an ox, but is also victorious. And Jesus' atoning death on the cross and his resurrection is the ultimate fulfillment of the entire Torah. The Torah included all these points in the Torah's poetry, so we wouldn't miss that the whole Torah is about this person. Then, hundreds of years later, Jesus, the descendant of Judah, through King David, was born. And he lived a life like Joseph, being rejected by his people and suffering to the point of death. But just like the Torah promised, he didn't stay dead. And his death is the atonement that can cover your sin and mine. Today's scripture reading comes from John 5, 19-30. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, a time is coming and even now has arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's take some time to reflect and meditate on God's word. I'm going to ask you three questions. Take the time you need to think about them, and you can pause if you need more time.
Jesus succeeded where nobody else has. And if you place your trust in him, his blood will fully cover your sin. And you'll be counted as if you lived his life of obedience to God. Do you believe this? Jesus is the ultimate priest. He is not only the atonement for our life of sin, but he makes us holy and forgives our sins. What sin in your life do you need forgiveness for? Take a moment and ask him to forgive you. Jesus sent his spirit to fill and empower us to live faithful lives as children of God under the new covenant. Have you asked Jesus to fill you with his personal presence so that you can live a life worthy of him? Take a moment and ask for the Holy Spirit to make you more and more like Jesus. That's it for our introduction to the Torah series. I hope you found it helpful and encouraging. I want to make a lot more to help people discover Jesus in the Hebrew Bible and to grow in their relationships with him. The next series will be a deeper dive on the animated short video series I put out called The Torah's Messianic Trajectory. We're going to explore how the Torah sees itself as a vitally important text precisely because it's all about the Messiah. And we'll look at how the rest of the Hebrew Bible builds on it in detail. I think this series will be really helpful for understanding how the Hebrew Bible works and also for how to see the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament. This mission is completely supported by generous people like you. So if you found this series helpful, please go to thetorahguide.com give and sign out to be a monthly donor, or you can make a one-time gift. This will help us make the next series. Your gifts go towards making these podcast episodes, toward the animated short videos we put out, and all the other biblical resources that we release on social media. So, I'll see you next Monday.